The Food and Drug Administration has warned that patients taking cholesterol-fighting statins face a small increase in the risk of higher blood sugar levels and of being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. There's been some conflicting information from several large trials about the effects of statin therapy on the development of diabetes and glycemic control. You're listening to ReachMD, and this is Lipid Illumination, sponsored by the National Lipid Association. I'm Dr. Alan Brown, your host, and with me today is Dr. Spencer Kroll. Dr. Kroll is a diplomat of the American Board of Clinical Lipidology and a board-certified internist. He serves on the board of directors of the Northeast Lipid Association, and he runs the Cholesterol Treatment Center and Lipid Clinic in Marlboro, New Jersey. Spencer, thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule to talk to us about this topic. Thank you, Alan, and thanks for having me on ReachMD's Lipid Luminations. So I'm sure you find the same thing that I do in my lipid clinic, a barrage of phone calls about, I have diabetes, and I wonder if it was the statin that that you put me on a few years ago, doctor. I mean, I think almost every patient I have with type 2 diabetes has called me and blamed me for their diabetes. So... I want you to tell us a little bit about the background of this discussion and, you know, what what the uh, what the data really shows and, and sort of help us sort out some of the conflicts in the, the data. Sure, Alan. So I, I'm also experiencing those same types of patients and those same concerns. And, you know, when I think about what's going on in the last several months since the Food and Drug Administration issued those warnings, um, we want to put this all in context when we deliver the appropriate message to a patient. Over the last 20 years or so, we've had a lot of clinical trials with hundreds of thousands of participants that have demonstrated the beneficial effects of statins. But as a result of all of these studied patients, we've started to see some treatment outcomes that may be uh, what we should uh, consider to be a side effect, such as raising blood sugar or an increased risk of diabetes. One of the first hints that there might be a worsening glycemic effect of statins was seen in Jupiter. And in Jupiter, resuvastatin showed a mild but a, an increase in the new-onset diabetes uh, um, incidence. And before this, we had some data from Waskops, which was also, as you know, another primary prevention trial that showed that there was a decreased risk of a hazard for developing type 2 diabetes. But since Jupiter, we've had several trials that have been looked at in retrospect, and what we find is that there seems to be across the board an increased risk of incidence for diabetes, and perhaps Wascops was an outlier in this effect. Now, do you think, uh, uh, Spencer, that it's related to the dose of statin, if you look back, or what, what types of patients are more prone to this increased risk? And after you tell us about that, then I'm going to get into asking you about, you know, what is the real risk in terms of uh, chance of of developing diabetes? How many people do you have to treat to get it, for example? Sure. Well, the Jupiter study was really notable in that it was one of the first studies that included a lot of women and ethnic minorities. WASCOPs, as you know, included really only men. So when we start looking at at different uh, populations, uh, I think that we have to say that perhaps men, when they're studied, we may miss some of the uh, some of the effects. In the Jupiter study, there seemed to be uh, a a much greater effect in that population relative to some of the other studies. There didn't seem to be a gender effect specifically in Jupiter, but the Women's Health Initiative that was looked at afterwards did seem to show an increased effect in postmenopausal women. 
there doesn't seem to be any differences between the statins in terms of the glycemic effect as we look at different studies. Each has been shown to worsen the glycemic control. And there's no difference in terms of lipophilicity or half-life or any other chemical structure effect of the statins. When we pool studies, there seems to be a dose-dependent effect, which would seem to support some sort of causal effect here, which is what we're concerned about. Similarly, there seems to be a length of treatment effect. So the longer you treat, the higher risk you have of developing diabetes. Patients older than 65 years old seem to be particularly susceptible to the glycemic effect of therapy. So let me ask you, um, I, I know there's been some small trials with patavastatin that suggested that it, it uh, doesn't have that effect on, on uh, hyperglycemia, but on the other hand, they're relatively small. I don't know if you have any thoughts on whether there might that might be a, a different effect with patavastatin. Well, patavastatin may be the only drug that has specifically been studied for this effect prospectively, and uh, you know I think that all of the other statins um, really need to do that type of study. I don't know whether that will in fact be done, um, but you're correct that patavastatin at this point in small studies doesn't seem to have it the same glycemic worsening effect as the other statins. Uh, there, are, there are dose studies with high dose atorvastatin that show a, uh, a worsening glycemic effect on higher doses. Yeah, now it seemed like the patients that tended to have the development of diabetes were pre-diabetic, obese, a little bit older. Um, do you think that if, if your patient was able to manage their lifestyle, lose weight, and and improve their metabolic syndrome, that they would get as much of an increased risk by being on statin therapy? Well, when we try and identify those patients who are at risk, we find, and this is looking back at several large studies, TNT, Sparkle, Ideal, we find that the predictive factors are high fasting blood sugar to start, over 100, a triglyceride level of over 150, a BMI of over 30, and hypertension. Now, those are all components of the metabolic syndrome, and those risk factors were reproducible and individual across all the trials. So it's, these patients probably have less beta cell reserve, and we know the patients sometimes have normal LDL levels when we look at their actual lipid profiles, um, despite having significant atherogenic risk. So while we have all these components of the metabolic syndrome, I find in my practice that those type of patients may be the most amenable to lifestyle modification um, because they see multiple metabolic abnormalities um, that you can address as opposed to a single LDL abnormality that may be more uh, amenable to therapy. For those just tuning in, you're listening to ReachMD. I'm Dr. Alan Brown, and I'm speaking with Dr. Spencer Kroll from the Cholesterol Treatment Center, a lipid clinic in Marlboro, New Jersey, and we're discussing statin therapy and the incidence of diabetes. So, so, Spencer, do you have any thoughts on the mechanism uh, of increased glucose in patients on at least statins at increasing dosages? Well, the basic science on this is very interesting. There, there have now been several proposed mechanisms, and they all seem to have experimental evidence. The first mechanism may be a, a statin's effect on glucose-mediated calcium-dependent insulin secretion. So we know that insulin secretion actually increases on statin therapy, but insulin sensitivity decreases. Statins also seem to affect beta cell oxidation, and it's been speculated, at least in elderly people, that they may stimulate beta cell apoptosis. 
Remember how we discussed the increased risk in elderly patients and the length of treatment effects. So this may be relevant here. Um, there's also studies looking at the effects on ubiquinone depletion and maybe possibly inhibiting mitochondrial ATP production. But the, but the, the sort of leading mechanism in terms of um, what, what, what basic researchers are thinking is that there may be an inhibition of the GLUT4 glucose transporter or that this is a possible target of the statin effect. GLUT4 is distributed in the intracellular compartment in the basal state and relocates to the cell membrane in response to insulin. And this transporter requires that the lipid uh, side chains be added to make it hydrophobic so that it can be inserted in the lipid membrane, excuse me, in the cell membrane. And this process is called isoprenylation and statins specifically inhibit the formation of the necessary lipid entities that are required for this reaction. Now, that's fascinating. So if I have a group of patients who are asking me, doctor, you know, what's my chance of developing diabetes if you put me on a statin? Give us a little bit of a feeling. How many people we have to treat to cause harm, and how does that compare to how many we have to treat to cause benefit? Well, whenever we look at meta-analyses, Alan, we try and come up with these sort of ratios to look at uh, risk to benefit and determine for our patients, you know, what are our thresholds for treatment. There seems to be a 9 to 1 ratio here. That is, for every, if you treat 255 patients, you seem to see one increased risk of, of diabetes, one patient with an increased risk, as opposed to nine less patients um, who have had a cardiovascular event. So we utilize that 9 to 1 ratio to support the benefit of treatment in high-risk patients. So obviously then it seems that the reduction in cardiovascular events, death, procedures, is certainly justified in people at, at high risk, like people with secondary prevention and underlying established diabetes. Uh, the question I would have for you is, has this data changed the way you think about lower-risk primary prevention patients? Well, I, I think it does. I think that we need to be more cautious in this population. I mean, overall, the effect seems to be across the board in terms of uh, relative risk, only slight. We see perhaps a, n somewhere around a 9%, irrespective of the statin, increased risk of the development of diabetes. But when we start looking at low-risk and intermediate-risk populations, and, of course, we all know that in Jupiter these were people, you know, that were previously considered low to intermediate risk, uh, I think that we really have to start looking at this potential side effect as a deleterious side effect and keep an eye on their blood sugars. So if you have a 35-year-old that's got a family history uh, and moderate dyslipidemia, and you've got them on a statin, they're doing well. And they come to the office and, they, and you notice that their fasting glucose is 105. What, what's your approach to evaluation of that patient? Do you stop the statin? Do you say, look, you've got metabolic syndrome, let's have you lose some weight and get your glucose down? How would you handle that type of a patient? Well, you know, my approach to that has really changed now because in the past I would have just sort of characterized that patient as, uh, you know, maybe going off their diet or eating more carbohydrates or gaining some weight. But now I've got to take a second look that perhaps it's the statin that may be contributing. Now, if it's a high-risk patient, if they've already had an event uh, or if they've got the appropriate number of risk factors, 
I, I think the best thing is to keep them on the medication, that the benefits so far outweigh the risks of that uh, worsening glycemic effect. If the patient is uh, an intermediate or low-risk patient, there may be some argument to be made for lowering the dose of the statin or perhaps going to a less potent statin. Um, but I think some of, the, some of the questions that we need to ask in the future are, is there a reversibility once the statins are discontinued or lowered? And what, whether or not there is really a, an, a, a deleterious effect on microvascular and macrovascular outcomes from this blood sugar rise, like we see in someone who might be on a high glycemic diet or, or overweight. And those, those questions still need to be answered. Yes, I definitely struggle with it. I, I think it's hard to take away the fact that, you know, most of these lower-risk individuals that you see who may, or may have metabolic syndrome are not necessarily the ones that theoretically were at increased risk for the statin effect on their blood sugar. They're not older. Their BMIs could, may not be over 30. They may be 28. But in your mind, you see that patient in the office and you think, oh, something I never thought of before. I wonder if the statin could have something to do with it. So I struggle with whether to tell them, let's focus on diet, exercise, weight loss, continue your statin, and if we can get your BMI down, your fasting blood glucose down, that the chances of the statin causing you to develop diabetes become much less versus saying, why don't we stop the statin and retest you? And as you say, there's no data whether or not we'll see a difference in their glucose or whether we can even say it wasn't the statin if their glucose doesn't go down. Well, I think we should maintain the same thresholds for treatment so that if we see their blood sugars go up, you know, unfortunately we may need to treat that separately, especially if they're high risk and they need to take the medication. But in, in the case of someone, as you say, who might be younger or lower risk, uh, I think that you know we need to really go through with the patient the, the positives and negatives of taking the medication. We have other medications that affect glycemic uh, control um, that we use commonly that have not been taken off the market and we consider to be important parts of our armamentarium for treating a variety of diseases, beta blockers, protease inhibitors, thiazide diuretics, atypical antipsychotics, and all of these medications raise your blood sugar, but we, we just watch it, and we watch it carefully. And, you know, in the cardiovascular world, we use niacin all the time, and we're very careful of measuring people's blood sugar on that medication, and we probably should take similar type of caution when we're using a statin in such an individual. Well, that's very helpful, and I suspect we're going to see a lot more about this topic in the future because not only has it been newsworthy, but retrospectively looking back at multiple trials in the past, we saw that that same trend. And uh, my final question for you is if you have a patient that comes in, they're doing fine on statins, and their fasting glucose is 80, and they say that they're nervous about developing diabetes because of what they read on the Internet, what would your answer be to them? Well, that's the reassurance question, isn't it? Um, I, you know, and I, and I think that the, the real message to that patient is that, that the benefits of the statin so outweigh the risks associated with a worsening of their blood sugar that they should stay on the medication and that patient should be reassured. We still have literally hundreds of thousands of patients tested in clinical trials. 
that show an improvement both in primary and secondary prevention with statins. And uh, although we do see this slight but, but realistic effect of statins, overall their benefits still seem to far outweigh their risks. And if their fasting blood sugar is normal, can you be quite comfortable that it's highly unlikely you're going to develop diabetes on a statin? I think that that's reasonable to say looking at the data. Great. Well, thank you very much. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Spencer Kroll. We've been discussing the issue of statin therapy and diabetes incidence. And uh, Spencer, thank you so much for discussing the pathophysiology as well as the epidemiology of the issue. And I think uh, we can safely say we'll hear more about it in the future, but I'm sure your comments today will help our listeners discuss this topic with their patients. Thank you, Alan. And I'm Dr. Alan Brown. You've been listening to Lipid Illumination, sponsored by the National Lipid Association on ReachMD. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, featuring podcasts of this and other series. You can download the podcasts and listen at your leisure. Thank you very much for listening to